Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of reading Harry Potter with a 12 year old. Today we'll be reading Ch uh, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, chapter 4 at Flourish and Blots. And this has literally got to be the best chapter in the whole book. Because this is literally the chapter where Mr. Weasley punches Mr. Malfoy in the face. It is amazing. And uh, I won't be letting out any more spoilers just for now because if you're um, using this podcast to, is as an introduction to the Harry Potter series, you wouldn't want any spoilers. So I won't be letting those out for now. Um, I also wanted to just mention that um, I'm actually using a different uh, uh, angle for recording um, this episode. I just want to see if it comes out as a better, uh, better audio quality. It's closer to... Um, to my mouth, uh, so you can hear me better, but I've also got the light shining relatively well against the, uh, page. Uh, so, that's pretty much all I have to say for today. Um, also, keep sending in those voice messages, I've loved hearing from them. Uh, send in more if you want, uh, please, please just keep sending them in, as I mentioned in the last episode. Uh, three specific, uh, specific things. Uh, your name, where you're coming, uh, where in the world you're uh, coming in from, and your Hogwarts house, right? Oh, I just remembered in the last episode, I may have said only house, not Hogwarts house. So just to clear up the confusion, not your address or whatever, your Hogwarts house, and then I will be making a special episode on that later. So um, I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode. Um, that that's the outro. I hope you guys will enjoy this episode, um, I hope you guys will enjoy this chapter. Let's get straight into it. So guys, I just listened back on the intro and I just want to say I'm really sorry for that really, really confusing introduction. Uh, yeah, I, I had to get that maybe ten times because my sister kept coming in the room and annoying me. So I'm really sorry about that. But anyway, let's get started. Chapter 4 at Flourish and Blots. Life at the borough was as different as possible from life in Privet Drive. The Dursleys liked everything neat and ordered. The Weasleys' house burst with the strange and unexpected. Harry got a shock the first time he looked in the mirror over the kitchen mantelpiece and then shouted, Tuck in your shirt, Scruffy! The ghoul in the attic howled and dropped pipes whenever he felt things were getting too quiet, and small explosions from Fred and George's bedroom were considered perfectly normal. What Harry found most unusual about life at Ron's, however, wasn't the talking mirror or the clanking ghoul. It was the fact that everybody there seemed to like him. Mrs. Weasley fussed over the state of his socks and tried to force him to eat fourth helpings at every meal. Mr. Weasley liked to sit next to Harry. Um, Mr. Weasley liked Harry to sit next to him at the dinner table, so he could bombard him with questions about life with Muggles, asking him to explain things like plugs and how postal surface worked. Fascinating, he would say, as Harry talked to him through using a telephone. Ingenious, really, how many ways Muggles have found of getting along without magic? Harry heard from Hogwarts one sunny week, uh, one sunny morning, about a week after he had arrived. At arrived at the borough. He and Ron went down to the breakfast to find Mr. and Mrs. Weasley sit and Ginny already sitting at the kitchen table. The moment she saw Harry, Ginny accidentally knocked her porridge bowl to the floor with a loud clatter. 
Ginny seemed very prone to knocking things over whenever Harry entered the room. She dived under the table to retrieve the bowl and emerged her face uh, with her glowing her face glowing like the setting sun. Sorry, uh, to retrieve the bowl and emerged with her face glowing like the setting sun. Pretending he hadn't noticed this, Harry sat down and took the toast Mrs. Weasley offered him. Letters from your school, said Mr. Weasley, passing Harry and one Ron identical envelopes of yellowish parchment addressed in green ink. Dumbledore already knows you're here, Harry. Doesn't miss a trick, that man. You've got two of them. Uh, you've got two. You've got them too. Yeah. You two've got them too, he added, as Fred and George ambled in, still in their pyjamas. For a few minutes, there was silence as they read all their letters. Harry told Harry's told him to catch the Hogwarts Express, as usual, from King's Cross Station on September the 1st. There was also a list of the new books he'd need for the coming year. Standard year, uh, second year students will require The Standard Book of Spells, Grade 2, by Miranda Goshawk, Goshawk. Break a Banshee, Break with a Banshee, by Gilderoy Lockhart. Getting with Ghouls, by Gilderoy Lockhart. Holidays with Hags, by Gilderoy Lockhart. Travels with Trolls, by Gilderoy Lockhart. Voyages with Vampires by Gilderoy Lockhart. Wanderings with Werewolves by Gilderoy Lockhart. And Year with the Yeti by Gilderoy Lockhart. Fred, who had finished his own list, peered at Harry's. You've been told to get all of Lockhart's books too, he said. The new Defense Against the Dark Arts um, teacher must be a fan. Bet it's a witch. At this point, Fred caught his mother's eye and quickly busied himself with the marmalade. That lot won't come cheap, said George, with a quick look at his parents. Lockhart's books are really expensive. Well, we'll manage, said Mrs. Weasley, but she looked worried. I expect we'll be able to pick up a lot of, um, a lot of Ginny's things secondhand. Oh, are you starting Hogwarts this year? Harry asked Ginny. She nodded. Um, blushing to the roots of her flaming hair and putting her elbow on the butter dish. Fortunately, no one saw this except Harry, because elder, um, Ron's elder bro- brother, Percy, just walked in. He was already dressed, his Hogwarts prefect badge pinned to his knitted tank top. Morning, all, said Percy briskly. Lovely day. He sat down in the only remaining chair, but leapt up again almost immediately pulling from underneath him a molting, grey feather duster. At least, that was, that was what Harry thought it was, until he saw that it was breathing. Errol, said Ron, taking the limp out from Percy and extracting a letter from under its wing. Finally! He's got Hermione's answer. I wrote to her saying you were going to try, we were going to try and rescue you from the Dursleys. He carried, to Errol, he carried Errol to a perch, just inside the back door, and tried to stand him on it. But Errol flopped straight off again, so Harry, uh, so Ron laid him on the draining board instead, muttering, pathetic. And he ripped it open, He ripped, then he ripped open Hermione's letter and read it out loud. Dear Ron, and Harry, if you're there, I hope everything went all right, and that Harry is okay, and you didn't do anything illegal to get him out. Ron, because that, Ron, because that would have been, because, Ron, because that would... Okay. Ron, because that... Oh, yeah. I hope everything went alright, 
and that Harry is okay, and that you didn't do anything illegal to get him out, Ron, because that would get Harry into trouble too. I've been really worried, and if Harry is alright, would you please let me know at once? But perhaps it would be better if you used a different owl, because I think another delivery might finish your one off. I'm very busy with schoolwork, of course. How can she? said Ron in horror. We're on holiday! And I'm going to London next Wednesday to buy my new books. Why don't we meet in Diagon Alley? Let me know what's happening as soon as you can. Love from Hermione. Well, that fits in nicely. We can all go get your things too, then. Said Mrs. Weasley, starting to clear up the table. What are you all up to today? Harry, Ron, Fred, and George were planning to go up the hill to a small paddock the Weasleys owned. It was surrounded by trees that blocked it from the view of the village below, meaning that they could practice Quidditch there, as long as they didn't fly too high. They couldn't use real Quidditch balls, which would have been hard to explain if they had escaped and flown over the village. Instead, they threw apples for each other to catch. They took in turns to ride Harry's Nimbus 2000, which was easily the best broom. Ron's old shooting star was often outstripped by passing butterflies. Five minutes later, they were marching up the hill, their broomsticks over their shoulders. They'd asked Percy if he wanted to join them, but they said he was too busy. Harry had only seen Percy at mill times so far. He'd stayed shut in his room the rest of the time. I wish I knew what he was up to, said Fred, frowning. He's not himself. His exam results came the day before it did, before you did. Twelve hours, and he hardly gloated at all. Ordinary, ordinary wizarding levels, George, George explained, seeing Harry's puzzled look. Bill got twelve, too. If we're not careful, we'll have another head boy in the family. I don't think I could stand the shame. Bill was the oldest Weasley brother. He and the next brother, Charlie, had already left Hogwarts. Harry had never met either of them, but Harry knew that Charlie was in Romania, studying dragons, and Bill in Egypt, working for the Wizard Bank, Wizards Bank, Gringotts. Don't know how Mum and Dad are going to afford all our school stuff this uh, school stuff this year," said George after a while. Five sets of Lockhart's books, and Ginny needs robes and a wand and everything. Harry said nothing. He felt a bit awkward. Stored in an underground vault at Gringotts in London was a small fortune that his parents had left him. Of course, it was the only wizarding money. It was only in the wizarding world that he had money. You couldn't use galleons, sickles, and canuts in a muggle shop. He had never mentioned his Gringotts bank to the account of the hor uh, to the Dursleys. He didn't think their horror could, of anything connected with uh, with magic would help stretch to a large pile of gold. Mrs. Weasley woke them up early the following Wednesday. W woke them up all early the following Wednesday, after a quick half a dozen bacon sandwiches each. They um they pulled on their coats, and Mrs. Weasley took a fowl plot off the kitchen mantelpiece and peered inside. <sighs> We're running low, Arthur, she sighed. We'll have to buy some more today. Ah, uh, well, guess first. After you, Harry dear. She offered him the, fowl the flower pot. Harry stared at the, stared at the mall, watching him. Uh, Harry stared at the mall, watching him. Well, what am I supposed to do? He stammered. He's never travelled by flu powder, said Ron suddenly. Sorry, Harry, I forgot. Never, said Mr. Weasley. But how did you get to Diagon Alley last year to to buy your things? I went on the underground. Really, said Mr. Mr. Weasley eagerly. Were there escapaders? How exactly? Not now, Arthur. 
said Mrs. Weasley. Flu powder's a lot quicker, dear, but goodness me, if you've never used it before. He'll be all right, Mum, said Fred. Harry, watch us first. He took a pinch of the glittering powder out of the flower pot and stepped up to the fire and threw it, the powder into the flames. With a roar, the fire turned emerald green and rose higher than Fred, who stepped right into it and shouted, Diagon Alley! and vanished. You must speak clearly, dear, Mrs. Weasley told Harry, as Ginny dipped his hand a uh, Ginny dipped his hand into the flower as George dipped his hand into the flower pot. And mind you get out of the right gate. The right what? said Harry nervously, as the fire roared and whipped George out of sight too. Well, there were a lot of there were there were a lot of awful wizard fires to choose from, you know. But as long as you have spoken clearly, ah, uh, don't. He'll be fine, Molly. Don't fuss," said Mister Weasley, helping himself to the flu powder too. But dear, if he got lost, how would he ever explain this to his aunt and uncle? They wouldn't mind," said Harry. Harry reassured her. Dudley would think it's a brilliant joke if I got lost up a chimney. Don't worry about that. Well, all right. You go after after," said Mister Weasley. Uh, Mrs. Weasley. Now, uh, when you get into the fire, say where you're going, and keep your elbows tucked in, Ron advised. And your eyes shut, said Mrs. Weasley. The soot. Don't fidget, said Ron, or you might well fall out of the wrong fireplace. But don't panic and get out too early. Wait until you see Fred and George. Trying, to, trying hard to bear all this in mind, Harry took a pinch of flu powder and walked into the edge of the fire. He took a deep breath and scattered uh, the powder into the flames and stepped forward. The entire f the fire felt like a warm breeze. He opened his mouth and immediate s immediately swallowed a lot of hot ash. Diagon Alley, he coughed. It felt as though he was um, being sucked down a giant plug hole. He seemed to be spinning very fast. The roaring in his ears was deafening. He tried to keep his eyes open, but a whirl of green flames made him feel sick. Something hard knocked his elbow, and he tucked it in tightly, still spinning and spinning. Now it felt as though cold hands were slapping his face. Squinting through his glasses, he saw a blurred stream of fireplaces and snatched glimpses of the room beyond. His bacon sandwiches were churning inside him. He closed his eyes again, wishing it would stop, and then he fell forward onto the cold stone and felt his glasses shatter. Dizzy and bruised, covered in soot, he got gingerly to his feet, holding his broken glasses up to his eyes. He was quite alone, but where he was, he had no idea. All he could tell was that there was something standing in the stone fireplace, or that he was standing in the stone fireplace of what looked like a large, dimly lit wizard shop. Nothing in here was ever likely to be on Hogwarts school list. Uh, a glass case nearby held a withered hand on a cushion, a, um, a blood-stained pack of cards, and a staring glass eye. Evil-looking masks leered down from the walls, an assortment of human bones lay upon the counter, and rusty spiked and rusty spiked instruments hung from the ceiling. Even worse, the dark, narrow street Harry could see through the dusty shop window was definitely not Diagon Alley. 
The sooner he got out of here, the better. Nose still stinging where it had hit the hearth. The hearth. Harry made his way swiftly and suddenly towards the door, but before he'd got halfway across it, two people appeared on the other side of the glass, and one of them was the very last person Harry wanted to meet when he was lost, covered in soot, and wearing broken glasses. Draco Malfoy. Harry looked quickly around and spotted a large black cabinet to his left. He shot inside it and pulled open the doors to, leaving a small crack. Um, leaving to, leaving to a small, leaving a small crack to peer through. Seconds later, a bell clanged and the Malfoy stepped into the shop. The man who followed, um, could only be the man who followed could only be his father. He had the same pale, pointed face and identical cold grey eyes. Mr. Malfoy crossed the shop, looking lazily at the items on the counter dis- on, the- on the display, and rang a bell on the counter before turning to his son and saying, "Touch nothing, Draco." Malfoy, who had reached for the glass eye, said, "I I thought you were going to buy me a present." I said I would buy you a racing broom," said his father, drumming his fingers on the counter. "What's the good of th- What's the good of that if I'm not in the house team?" said Ma- said Malfoy, looking salty, uh, sulky, and bad-tempered. Harry Potter got Nimbus two thousand last year, special permission from Dumbledore, so he could play just for Gryffindor. He's not even that good. It's just because he's famous, famous for having a stupid scar on his forehead. Malfoy bent down to examine a shelf full of skulls. Everyone thinks he's so smart. Wonderful Harry Potter and with his scar and his broomstick. You have already told me this a dozen times, Draco, said Mr. Malfoy with a quilling look at his son. And I would remind you that it is not prudent to appear less than fond of Harry Potter. Not um, when the mo. Yeah, not when most our kind um, regard him as the hero who made the Dark Lord disappear. Ah, Mr. Bourbon. A stooping man had appeared from from behind the counter, smoothing his greasy hair back from his face. Mr. Malfoy, what a pleasure to see you again, said Mr. Bourbon in a voice as oily as his hair. Delighted. And young Master Malfoy, too. And young Master Malfoy, too. Charmed. How may I be of, assi- of assistance? I must show you. Just in today, and very reasonably priced. I'm not buying anything, Mr. Borgen, but selling, said Mr. Malfoy. Selling? Said the smile faded slightly from Mr. Borgen's face. You have heard, of course, that the Ministry is conducting more raids, said Mr. Malfoy, taking a roll of parchment from inside his pocket and unraveling, f- unra- unraveling it for Mr. Borgen to read. I have uh, a few items at home that might embarrass me if the Ministry were to call. Mr. Borgen f- fixed on a prisoner's um, to his nose and looked down on the list. The Ministry wouldn't presume to trouble you, sh- um, sir, surely? Mis- Mr. Malfoy's lips curled. I've not been visited yet. The name Malfoy still commands a great respect, yet the Ministry grows ever more meddlesome. There were rumours about a new Muggle Protection Act 
No doubt that flea-bitten, muggle-loving fool, Arthur Weasley, is behind it all. Harry felt a strong surge of anger. As you see, these um, certain positions might make it appear. I understand, sir. Of course, said Mr. Bor um, said, said Mr. Borgen. Let me see. Okay, so that's actually going to be it for today. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of reading Harry Potter with a 12-year-old. Uh, please make sure to follow and leave a rating and a review if you haven't done so already. And as I said before, you can send in a voice message. Uh, I've I've left links uh, to send a voice message through in the in the descriptions. So um, as I said, uh, wait, where in the world you're calling from? Uh, your name and what Hogwarts house you're in. I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode of reading Harry Potter with a 12-year-old, and I will see you guys next time. Take care. Bye for now. Okay, so it's actually been a week uh, after I've recorded this. Um, I've just been really caught up with stuff, but uh, I'm back and uh, to read the next part of the story. Can I have that? Interrupted Draco, pointing at the withered hand on the cushion. Ah, the hand of glory, said Mr. Borgin, abandoning Mr. Malfoy's list and scurrying over to Draco. Insert a candle, and it gives light only to the holder. Best friend of thieves and plunderers. Your son has fine taste, sir. I hope my son will amount to more than a thief or a plunderer, Borgin, said Mr. Malfoy coldly. And Mr. Borgin said quickly, Uh, no offense, sir. No offense, man. Though, if his school marks don't pick up, said Mr. Malfoy, more coldly still. That may indeed be all he is. It's not my fault, retorted Draco. The teachers all have favourites. That Hermione Granger. I would have thought you'd be shamed that girl of no wizard family beat you in every exam, snapped Mr. Malfoy. Ha! said Malf um, said Harry under his breath, pleased to see Draco lose, um, looking both angry and abashed. It's the same all over, said Mr. Borgin in his oily voice. Wizard blood is counting for less everywhere. Not with me, said Mr. Malfoy, his nostrils flaring. No, 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 sir, no, nor with me, sir, said Mr. Borgin with a deep bow. In that case, perhaps we can return to my list, said Mr. Malfoy shortly. I am in something of a hurry, Borgin. I have an important business elsewhere today. They started to haggle. Harry watched nervously as Draco drew nearer and nearer to his hiding place, examining all the objects for sale. He paused to examine a long coil of hangman's ropes, and to read, and to read, smirking, the card propped up on the magnificent necklace of opals. Caution. Do not touch. Cursed. Has claimed the, the lives of nineteen muggle owners to date. Draco turned away and saw the cabinet right in front of him. He walked forward, he stretched out his hand for the handle. Draco! said Mr. Malfoy at the counter. Come, Draco! I'm oh, sorry, done! said Mr. Malfoy at the counter. Come, Draco! Harry wiped his forehead on his sleeve as Draco turned away. Good day to you, Mr. Borgen. I'll expect you at the manor tomorrow to pick up the goods. The moment the door had closed, Mr. Borgen had dropped his oily manner. 
good day to yourself, Mr. Malfoy, and if the stories are true, you haven't told me half of what's in your manner. Muttering darkly, Mr. Borgen disappeared into a back room. Harry waited for a minute, in case he came back, and then, as quietly as he could, slipped out of the cabinet, past the glass cases, and out of the shop door. Clutching his broken glasses to his face, Milana, what are you doing? No. I'm recording it. Sorry about that. He's... What do you want, Milana? What? You've already ruined half of it. Sister brother problems. Anyway, uh, he stared around. He had emerged into a dingy alleyway that seemed to be made up entirely of shops devoted to the dark arts. The one he just left, Borgen and Burke's, looked like the largest, but opposite was a nasty window display of shrunken heads with and uh, shrunken heads, and two doors down, a large cage of was alive with gigantic black spiders. Two shabby-looking wizards were watching him from the shadow of a doorway, muttering to each other. Feeling jumpy, Harry set off. Trying to hold his glasses on straight, and hoping against hope that he'd be able to find a way out of there. An old wooden street sign hanging over the shop selling poisonous candles told him he was in Nocturne Alley. This didn't help, as Harry had never heard of such a place. He supposed he hadn't spoken clearly enough through the mouthful of ashes back in the Weasley's fire. Trying to stay calm, he wondered what to do. Not lost, are you, dear? said a voice in his ear, making him jump. An aged witch stood in front of him, holding a tray of what looked like horribly, horribly like whole human fingernails. She leered at him, showing mossy teeth. Harry backed away. Uh, I'm, I'm fine, thanks, he said. I'm just... Harry, what do you think you're doing here? Harry's heart leapt. So did the witch. A load of fingernails cascaded from her over her feet, and she cursed as the massive form of Hagrid, the Hogwarts gamekeeper, came striding towards them. His back, his beetle black eyes flashing over his great bristling beard. Hagrid, Harry croaked in relief. I was lost. Flu powder. Hagrid seized Harry by the scruff of his neck and pulled him away from the witch, knocking the tray right out of her hands. Her shrieks followed them all along, the all the way along the twisting alley into the bright sunlight. Harry saw the familiar snow-white marble um, building in the distance, Gringotts Bank. Hagrid had steered him right into Diagon Alley. You're a mess, said Hagrid gruffly, brushing soot of Harry so forcefully, he nearly knocked him into a barrel of dragon dung outside the apothecaries. Sulking around the place, skulking around Nocturne Alley? I don't know. Dodgy place, Harry. Don't want no one to see you down there. I realise that, said Harry, ducking his haggard made to brush, off his, brush him off again. I told you, I was lost. What were you doing down there, anyway? I was looking for flesh-eaten slug repellent, growled Hagrid. They're ruining the school carriages. You're not on your own? Well, I'm staying with the Weasleys, but we got separated, Harry explained. I've got to find them. They set off together down the street. How come you never wrote back to me? said Hagrid, as Harry jogged alongside as uh, alongside him. He had to take three steps to every stride of Hagrid's enormous boots. 
Harry explained all about Dobby and the Muggles. Ruddy Muggles, growled Hagrid. If I'd have known... Harry, Harry, over here! He looked up and saw Hermione Granger standing at the top of the white flight steps to, to Gringotts. She ran down to meet them, her bushy brown hair flying beneath her. What's happened to your glasses? Hello, Hagrid. Oh, it's so wonderful to see you again. Are you coming into Gringotts, Harry? As soon as I found the Weasleys, said Harry. You won't have to wait long, grinned Hagrid. Harry and Hermione looked around, sprinting up the crowded street where Ron, Fred, George, Percy, and Mr. Weasley. Harry, Mr. Weasley panted. We'd hoped you'd only gone one grade too far. He mopped his glistening, bold patch. Molly's frantic. She's coming now. Where did you come out of? Ron asked. Nocturne Alley, said Fred grimly. Brilliant, said Fred and George together. We've never been allowed in, said Ron enviously. Well, I ruddy well think not, growled Hagrid. Mrs. Weasley came galloping into view, her handbag swinging wildly in one hand, and Ginny just clinging on to the other. Oh, Harry, oh, my dear, you could have been anywhere. Gasping for breath, she pulled a large clothes brush from her bag, bag and began sweeping off the suit ha Hagrid hadn't managed to beat away. Mr. Weasley took Harry's glasses, gave them a tap of his wand, and returned them, good as new. Well, gotta be off, said Hagrid who was having his hand wrung by Mrs. Weasley. Nocturne Alley! If you hadn't found him, Hagrid! See you at Hogwarts! And he strode away, head and shoulders taller than anyone else on the pack street. Guess who I saw in Borgen and Burks, said Harry, um, Harry asked Ron and Hermione, as they climbed the Gringotts steps. Malfoy and his father. Did Lucius Malfoy buy anything? said Mr. Weasley sharply behind them. No, he, he was selling. So he's worried, said Miss, Mr. Weasley with grim satisfaction. Ooh, I'd love to get Lucius Malfoy for something. You'd better be careful, Arthur, said Miss, Mrs. Weasley sharply, as they, ushered into the, as they were ushered into the bank by a bowing goblin at the door. That's family's trouble. Don't go biting off more than you can chew. So you don't think I'm matched for Lucius Malfoy, said Mr. Weasley indignantly. But he was distracted almost at once by the sight of Hermione's parents, who was standing nervously at the counter that ran all along the way, um, that ran all along the Great Marble Hall, waiting for Hermione to introduce them. But, but your models, said Mr. Weasley, delighted. Oh, we must have a drink. What's that you've got there? Oh, you're exchanging muggle money. Molly, look. He pointed excitedly at the ten pound notes in Mr. Granger's hand. Meet you back here. Ron said to Hermione, as the Weasleys and Harry were led off to their underground vaults by another Gringotts goblin. The vaults were reached by the means of a small goblin by small of small goblin-driven carts that sped along miniature train tracks through the bank's underground tunnels. Harry enjoyed the break the breakneck journey down to the Weasleys' vaults, but it felt dreadful, far worse than he'd felt in Nocturne Alley, when it, when it was opened. There was a small pile of silver sickles inside, and just one gold galleon. Mrs. Weasley felt right into the corners before sweeping the whole lot into her bag. Harry felt even worse when they reached his vault. He tried to block the contents from view as he hastily shoved coins into a leather bag. Uh, back outside, on the marble steps, they all separated. Percy muttered vaguely about needing a new quill, and Fred and George spotted their friend from Hogwarts, Lee Jordan.
Mrs. Mrs. Weasley and Ginny were going to a second-hand rope shop. Mr. Weasley was insisting on taking the Grangers off to the Leaky Cauldron for a drink. We'll all meet at Flourish and Blots in an hour to buy your school books, said Mrs. Weasley, setting off with setting off with Ginny. And not one step down Nocturne Alley, she shouted at the twins retreating backs. Harry and Ron and Hermione strolled off along the uh, uh, Harry, Ron, and Hermione strolled off along the winding cobbled street. The bag of silver, gold, and bronze jangled cheerfully in Harry's pocket. Was clamoring, uh, yeah, was clamoring to be spent. So he bought three large strawberry and peanut butter ice creams, which they slurped happily as they wandered up the alley, examining the fascinating shop windows. Um, Ron Glade. Ron gazed longingly at the full set of Chudley Cannon, Cannon robes in the window of quality Quidditch supplies until Hermione dragged them off to buy ink and parchment next door. In Gamble and Jape's wizarding joke shop, they met Fred and George and Lee Jordan, who were stocking up on Dr. Filibuster's fabulous wet start no-heat fireworks in a tiny junk shop full of broken wands, wonky brass scales, and old cloaks covered in potion stains. They found Percy deeply immersed in the small and deeply boring book called Prefects Who Gained Power. A study of Hogwarts prefects and their later careers, Ron read aloud on the back of the cover. That sounds fascinating. Go away, um, Percy snapped. Of course, he's very ambitious, Percy. He's got it all planned out. He wants to be Minister of Magic, Ron told Harry and Hermione in an undertone as they left Percy to it. An hour later, they headed for Flourish and Blots. They were by no means the only ones making their way to the bookshop. As they approached it, they saw to their surprise a large crowd jostling outside the doors trying to get in. The reason for this was proclaimed by a large banner stretched out across the windows. Gilderoy Lockhart will be signing copies of his autobiography, Magical Me, today, 12.30 to 4.30 p.m. We can actually meet him, Hermione squealed. I mean, he's written almost a whole book list. The crowd seemed to be made up of mostly witches around Mrs. Weasley's age. A harassed-looking wizard at the, at the door saying, Calmly, please, ladies, don't push. Uh, mind the books in it now. Harry, and Ron, Harry, Ron, and Hermione squeezed inside. A long queue wound right to the back of the shop, where Gilderoy Lockhart was signing his books. They each grabbed a copy of Breaking with a Banshee and sneaked up on the line where the rest of the Weasleys were, standing with Mr. and Mrs. Granger. Oh, there you are, good, said Mrs. Weasley. She sounded breathless and kept patting her hair. We'll be able to see him in a minute. Uh, Gilderoy Lockhart came slowly into view, seated at a table surrounded by, a large, by large pictures of his own face, all winking and flashing dazzly, um, dazzlingly. In the white teeth of the crowd, the real Lockhart was wearing robes of forget-me-not blue, which which exactly matched his eyes. His pointed wizard's hat was set at a jaunty angle on his wavy hair. A short, irritable-looking man was dancing around taking photos with a large black camera that emitted puffs of purple smoke with every blinding flash. Out of the way there, he snarled at Ron, moving back to get a better shot. This is for the Daily Prophet. Big deal, said Ron, rubbing his foot with a um, 
Well, yeah, big deal, said Ron, rubbing his foot where the photographer had stepped on it. Gilderoy Lockhart heard him. He looked up. He saw Ron, and then he saw Harry. He stared. Then he leapt to his feet and positively shouted, It can't be Harry Potter! The crowd parted, whispering excitedly. Lockhart dived forward, seized Harry's arm, and pulled him to the front. The crowd burst into applause. Harry's face burned as Lockhart shook his hand for the photographer, who was clicking away madly, wafting thick smoke over the Weasleys. Nice big smile, Harry, said Lockhart through his own gleaming teeth. Together, you and I are worth a front page. When he finally let go of Harry's hand, Harry could hardly feel his fingers. He tried to sidle back over to the Weasleys, but Lockhart threw an arm around his shoulders and clamped him tightly to his side. Ladies and gentlemen, he said loudly, waving for quiet. What an extraordinary moment this is. The perfect moment for me to make a little announcement I've been waiting, sitting on for some time. When young Harry stepped into Flourish and Blots today, he only wanted to buy my autobiography, which I should be happy to present him now free of charge. The, the crowd applauded again. He had no idea, said Aunt Lockhart continued, giving Harry a little shake that made his glasses slip to the end of his nose, that he would shortly be getting much, much more than my book, Magical Me. He and his schoolfellows will, in fact, be getting the real Magical Me. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I have great pleasure and pride in announcing that this September I will be taking up the post of Defense Against the Dark Arts, teacher of Hogwarts School at Witchcraft and Wizardry! The crowd cheered and clapped, and Harry found himself being presented with the entire works of Gilderoy Lockhart. Staggering slightly under their weight, he managed to make his way out of the limelight to the edge of the room, where Ginny was standing with next to her new cauldron. You have these, Harry mumbled to her. I'll buy my own. Bet you love that, didn't you, Potter? said a voice Harry had no trouble recognising. He straightened up and found himself face to face with Draco Malfoy, who was wearing his usual sneer. Famous Harry Potter, said Malfoy. Can't even go into a bookshop without making the front page. Leave him alone. He, he didn't want that, said Ginny. It was the first time she had spoken in front of Harry, and she was glaring at Malfoy. Potter, you've got yourself a girlfriend, drilled Malfoy. Ginny went scarlet as Ron and Hermione fought their way over, both clutching a stack of Lockhart's books. Oh, it's you, looking up at Malfoy, as if he was something unpleasant on the sole of his shoe. Bet you're surprised to see Harry here, eh? Not as surprised as I am to see you here in a shop, Weasley, retorted Malfoy. I suppose your parents will go hungry for a month to pay for that lot. Harry went as red as Ginny, and he dropped his books into the cauldron too, and started towards Malfoy but Harry and Hermione grabbed the back of his jacket. Ron, said Mr. Weasley, struggling over with Fred and George. What are you doing? It's mad in here. Let's go outside. Well, well, well. Arthur Weasley. It was Mr. Malfoy. He stood with his hand on Draco's shoulder, sneering in just the same way. Lucius, said Mr. Malfoy, nodding coldly. Busy time at the Ministry, I hear said Mr. Malfoy. All those raids. I hope they're paying you overtime. He reached into Ginny's cauldron and extracted and missed from the glossy Lockhart books a very old, battered copy of 
A beginner's guide to transfiguration. Obviously not, he said. Dear me, what's the use of being a disgrace to the name of wizard if they don't even pay you well for it? Mr. Weasley flushed darker than either of Ron and Ginny. We have very different idea of what the disgraces or what disgraces the name of wizard, Malfoy, he said. Clearly, said Mr. Malfoy, his pale eyes straying to Mr. and Mrs. Granger, who were watching apprehensively. The company you keep, Weasley. And I thought your family could sink no lower. There was a thud of metal as Ginny's cauldron went flying. Mr. Weasley had thrown himself at Mr. Malfoy, knocking backwards into a bookshelf. Dozens of heavy spellbooks came thundering down on all their heads. There was a yell of, Get him, Dad! from Fred and George, and Mrs. Weasley was shrieking, No, Arthur! No! The crowd stampeded backwards, knocking more shelves over. Gentlemen, please, please! Um, cried the assistant, and then louder than all, Break it up there, gents! Break it up! Hagrid was wading towards them, through the sea of books, in an instant he had pulled apart Mr. Malfoy and um, Miss, Mr. Malfoy and Mr. Weasley apart. Mr. Malfoy had a cut lip, and Miss, Mr. Malfoy had been hit in the eye by an encyclopedia of toadstools. He was still holding Ginny's old Transfiguration book. He thrust it at her, his eyes glittering with malice. Here, girl, take your book. It's the best your father can give you. Pulling himself out of Hagrid's grip, he beckoned to Draco and swept from the shop. It should have ignored him, Arthur, said Hagrid, almost lifting Har um, Mr. Weasley off his feet as he straightened his robes. Right into the, the core, the whole family. Everyone knows that. No Malfoy is worth listening to. Bad blood. That's what it is. Come on now, let's get out of here. The assistant looked as though he wanted to stop them leaving but he barely came up to Hagrid's waist and seemed to think better of it. They hurried up to the street, the Grangers shaking with fright, and Miss, Mrs. Weasley beside herself with fury. A fine example to set your children, brawling in public. What Gilderoy Lockhart must have thought. He was pleased, said Fred. Didn't you hear him as we were leaving? He was asking that boy from the Daily Prophet if we'd be able to work the fight into his report. Said it was all publicity. But it was a subdued group who headed back to the fireside in the leaky cauldron, where Harry, the Weasleys, and all of their shopping would be travelling back to the burrow using flu powder. They said goodbye to the Grangers, who were leaving on the pub on for the Muggle Street on the other side. Miss Mr. Weasley asked them how the bus stops worked, but um, but stopped quickly at the look on Mrs. Weasley's face. Harry took off his glasses and put them safely in his pocket before helping himself to some flu powder. It definitely wasn't his favorite way to travel.